And we'll start with a question. What makes a church grow? Now, there are things that can be done to get more people in through the church doors. But the question is, what is it that causes genuine growth? What is it that causes existing believers to mature? And what is it that increases the number of new believers? And it would certainly be correct to say God causes genuine growth. But if we ask what does God use to bring growth, then we might come up with various answers to the question. But this morning we're going to look at the answer given to us in the book of Acts. We've seen that the church has been growing rapidly in its early days. And in the midst of that growth, the church is forced to stop and consider what it is that's causing the growth. The passage we're going to look at this morning is Acts chapter 6. If you're using a church Bible, that's page 1098. Acts chapter 6, and we're going to look this morning at the first seven verses. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is God's word. And this passage is about the priority and progress of the word. It begins with a growing church that's facing some difficulties because of its growth. In verses 1 to 2, we see that the blessing of growth brings challenges to the church. These verses give us two challenges, a challenge to the unity of the church and a challenge to the priority of God's word in the church. First of all, the growth brings a challenge to the unity of the church. Verse 1 says the number of disciples was increasing. But this didn't just mean that the church became bigger. It also meant the church became more diverse. We're told the church contains both Grecian Jews and Hebraic Jews. Back in chapter 2, we saw that the Holy Spirit came and the church was born at Pentecost. 
Pentecost was an annual Jewish feast. And people flocked to Jerusalem from all over the world for that feast. Some of those people had been born Jews. Others had converted to Judaism. And at Pentecost, they got more than they bargained for. Thousands of them heard about Jesus. And they ended up putting their faith in Jesus. And now here they all are, the church. Not only are there lots of them, but some of them are natives of Israel. They are Hebraic Jews. And some of them are from just about everywhere else in the world. Grecian Jews. Greek was a worldwide language at that time, just like English is today. Now we know that the church members were concerned to share what they had with other members who were in need. We've been told that in both chapter 2 and chapter 4. But that good intention isn't working so well in practice anymore. We're told the widows among the Grecian Jews are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Widows at that time were among the most vulnerable people in society especially if they had no relatives to support them. Remember, there was no government support available. These were genuinely needy people. And the church has committed to providing for them. But some of them are missing out. Now, there's no suggestion the Grecian widows are being overlooked deliberately here. This is an organizational problem. Whatever the system is, it's breaking down. It's not working anymore. But although this is not deliberate, look what's happening. We're told the Grecian Jews are complaining against the Hebraic Jews. This organizational problem is threatening to turn into a divisive issue. It's threatening to split the church into factions. The word complaining could also be translated murmuring or grumbling. Last week we saw the church reacting well to persecution. In fact, it seemed to grow stronger under persecution. Here, we see the church in danger of being undone over a problem with food distribution. Flogging didn't hinder the church. But now an administrative glitch has led to a potentially destructive situation. And this is always a danger for the church. When big, obvious threats come along, we tend to band together. We remember what's most important. And we stand firm for God's honor. But it's the little things that threaten to divide us and ruin us. Maybe someone feels that they're not getting their due, and they gather a group of sympathizers, and suddenly a church is on the verge of a split. And this is a particular danger when God blesses the church with numerical growth. We pray and pray for growth, but when God gives it, maybe we don't like it as much as we thought we would. Maybe we find that as individuals, we don't have the same amount of influence we used to have. 
When there are more people, it disrupts the comfortable situation we had going. Sometimes the church deals with the pains of persecution a whole lot better than it deals with the pains of growth. And so we've got to be alert to the little things that can turn into destructive things. All of us do. The personal irritations that can grow into murmuring and can end up ruining the unity of the fellowship. Now, as we'll see, the church leadership has a responsibility to organize the church well so that little things don't become destructive things. But it's equally true that each of us needs to recognize that little things are just little things, however personally irritating they may be to us. They're not a cause for destroying the unity of the church. We have to remember that our unity is based on deeper, more foundational things, our common faith in Christ. And our common experience of new life in Christ. That doesn't mean we need to ignore the little things. If something's bothering you, it needs to be talked about and sorted out. But we mustn't let those things destroy the true unity that we have in Christ. Then verse 2 tells us that alongside a challenge to the unity of the church... The blessing of growth brings a challenge to the priority of God's word in the church. Verse 2 says, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. We might ask, what exactly is the ministry of the word of God? It's simply opening up God's written word to people, explaining what it means, and helping them see how it applies to them. We've seen Peter doing that in chapters 1 to 5 of Acts. Each of those chapters gives us an example of Peter ministering the word, and the other apostles were doing it too. For them, that meant opening up the Old Testament and showing the crowds that it was ultimately about Jesus and that it called them to respond to Jesus, to turn to him and put their trust in him. Today, we have the apostles' teaching collected for us in the New Testament. So today, the Word of God is the whole Bible, Old and New Testaments. And that word can be ministered by one person speaking to a large group or one-to-one or something in between. It's not only something that happens in official church meetings. That's what the ministry of the Word of God is, explaining and applying the Bible. And we'll see later why it's absolutely vital for the church to prioritize this ministry. But at this point, we have to be clear that ministry of the Word is not the only kind of ministry there is. The New Testament recognizes lots of different ministries. Here in our passage, the word that's translated distribution in verse 1 is the same word that's translated ministry in verse 2. 
Our English translations don't show us that. But it's very clear that serving up food to widows is a ministry, just as much as serving up God's Word in a sermon is a ministry. There's no suggestion here that the daily distribution of food isn't ministry, or even that it's an unimportant ministry. The issue is that up to this point, the apostles have been doing all of the ministry. They have been preaching to the crowds. They have been teaching the believers house to house. They have been healing the sick, distributing money to the needy, dealing with discipline issues, and serving food at the tables. It's no wonder things aren't running very smoothly anymore. It probably worked fine before Pentecost when there were only about 120 of them. That's one apostle to every 10 believers. But now there are thousands of them. It's no surprise the apostles' waitering service is below par. And the apostles realize that if they try to fix the problem by giving more time to the food ministry, they're going to end up neglecting the word ministry. So at this point in its young life, the church is at a crossroads. It's facing a crucial decision. What is it going to prioritize? The apostles have been commissioned by Jesus to minister the word. But as the church grows, more and more other ministry needs crop up. And most of them seem more urgent and pressing than ministering the word. What I mean is those other ministry needs are shouting more loudly. Hungry widows banging on their tables seems more urgently in need of attention than Sunday's sermon. I spoke to a pastor not so long ago who's involved in a church plant. And that church has been growing very quickly. And his comment was, I just don't seem to have time to prepare my sermons anymore. There's so much else to do. And I'm sure everything he was doing is good. But in his case, other ministry tasks were getting most of his attention. Simply because they shouted more loudly and more urgently. His Bible just sat there on his desk. It wasn't making any noise. And so it was getting ignored. Or at most, it was getting the leftovers of his time. The church enacts, and every church has to decide, what are we going to prioritize? Are we going to focus on the ministry needs that shout the loudest? Or will we stick to the priority that Jesus has given us, ministering the word? That's what the apostles decided to prioritize. And as we're about to see, that doesn't mean the church has to ignore other needs. Not at all. But it does need to organize itself so that its priority doesn't get forgotten and doesn't get pushed to one side. So verses 3 to 6 are about organizing the church to meet the challenges of growth. 
Verse 3, the apostles say, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The apostles respond to the challenges by addressing the organization of the church. First of all, they attend to the food problem. And notice how they do it. They don't deny there is a problem. They don't tell the Grecian Jews to stop whining. That was the standard way to deal with things in the ancient world. One writer says that those with power generally repressed complaining minorities. But that's not how things are to be in the church. Problems in the church are not to be dealt with by crushing those who are complaining. Instead, the apostles involve those who are complaining. They give them the responsibility in some way for solving the problem. The apostles say to the whole fellowship, you choose seven men from among you. And we'll give them responsibility for this food ministry. So maybe the lesson is, if you're disgruntled about something in the church, please come and share it with the elders. And we'll help you be involved in solving the problem. We all have to take responsibility. We all have to respond to challenges in a constructive way rather than a destructive way. Here, the apostles aren't concerned to hoard power for themselves. They realize that as the church grows, more of its members need to become involved in the ministry of the church in all of its forms. And that applies to us too. Please don't sit there thinking, well, they don't need me. We do. Ask us how you can minister. Don't assume that everything's taken care of. It's not. But notice too that the apostles don't just wash their hands of this food ministry. They don't take the attitude that, well, it's only the food ministry. Any warm body will do for that ministry. Not at all. Look at the guidance they give to the church body in verse 3. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Someone has said that this may seem like a mundane matter, but the apostles aren't looking for mundane people to sort it out. It's very clear here, the main qualification for service in the church is not giftedness, it's character. Certainly it's true that we all have different gifts, and it's helpful if we can figure out what those gifts are and find a place where they can be used. But the main qualification for service in the church is not giftedness, it's character. 
Later in the New Testament, when Paul gives Timothy and Titus the job of appointing elders and deacons in the churches, what does he tell them to look out for? Godly character. The only gift gift that's ever mentioned is that elders must be able to teach. Everything else is about character. And here in Acts, when the church looks for seven waiters for the food ministry, what is the church to be looking for? Seven men with proven character. They're to be known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. One commentator explains that by saying their lives are directed by God's Spirit so that they're spiritually sensitive and they're able to make good judgments. The official office of deacon came along later in the church. These men are not being appointed as church officers. They're waiters, basically. But their ministry is not being taken lightly. They're to be godly waiters. Maybe you read this and think, well, then how could I ever serve in the church? If you have to be full of the Spirit and wisdom to wait on tables, what could I do? Is there a job going cleaning the toilets? Maybe others of us will hear this and think, this is the wrong way to go about things. If we emphasize the need for character, no one's ever going to serve in any ministry, except maybe cleaning the toilets. But there's another better way to respond to verse 3. The book of Proverbs says, get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. Paul writes to Timothy, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Every single one of us has a responsibility to go after godly character. We're not to despair because we don't seem to have it. And we're not to wait for God to zap us with it. Don Carson has said that no one drifts towards holiness. We have to pursue it. But it can be much more tempting for us to try and fake holiness. To get the idea so that so long as no one finds out what we're really like, we'll get along fine. But isn't that what Ananias and Sapphira did? You remember them? If their story teaches us anything, surely it's that we can't fake it with God. The church is not a place for people who don't care about holiness. Nor is it a place for people who are content to pretend to be holy. The church is a place for imperfect men and women who are determined to pursue holiness together. That's the way to respond to what we read in verse 3, those qualifications. The way to respond is by seeking to grow in these things. 
The person who's disqualified from serving is not the imperfect person. It's the person who's content with their imperfections. The person who never gets around to pursuing growth in godliness and wisdom and self-discipline. When it comes to godliness, the direction you're going is more important than the distance you've traveled. We've said that all ministry in the church is important. And that's shown very clearly in the way the apostles commissioned these seven men. Verse 5 tells us the church was pleased with the apostles' proposal. And it's probably significant that all seven of the men chosen have Greek names. Remember, the Grecian Jews were the ones grumbling about inefficiency in the food ministry. And now they're given responsibility for that ministry. Verse 6 says, The church body present these men to the apostles, who then pray and lay their hands on them. This is a clear signal that every ministry is important. Laying on of hands indicates that through the church body, God has called these men to this work. And this improvement in the organization of the church, this work to draw others into ministry, it enables the church to maintain the core priority of the ministry of the Word. The apostles are freed up for that ministry. In verse 4, they say, we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. That means those who are going to minister the Word must prayerfully study the Word. And they must pray for those who are going to be on the receiving end of the ministry. It's not likely there will be much effective ministry of the Word unless that ministry is surrounded by prayer. There's a very clear progression in this passage. In verse 2, we're told the apostles are under pressure to neglect the ministry of the word to do other ministry. In verse 4, they resolve to give their attention to the ministry of the word. And now look at verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. We're told the word of God spread. Literally, it grew. But what verse 7 then describes for us is the growth of the church. More people become followers of Jesus. Even religious people, priests. Religious people need Jesus too. They need to move from trusting in their own achievements to trusting in Jesus' achievement for them on the cross. The message of verse 7 is that if the church is going to grow, the word has to be prioritized in the church. And the words of verse 7 occur several more times in the book of Acts. It's God's word 
that opens men and women's eyes. It's God's word that makes them obedient to the faith and gives them life. It's God's word that unites diverse men and women. Yes, it's God who does those things. But God does his work through his word. Prioritizing ministry of the word paves the way for the spread of the word. We started by asking what makes a church grow? And what we've discovered is that the growth of the word means the growth of the church. There's unlikely to be genuine growth in the church, either numerically or in terms of spiritual maturity or in terms of unity, unless the word is prioritized in the church. We all know this, I think. But we have to keep reminding ourselves of it because we're always being tempted away from it. When a church doesn't seem to be growing, we're tempted to look to some other ministry to get us growing. And when a church is growing, there are so many other ministries that seem urgent and important. We're tempted to deprioritize the ministry of the word. But that can only destroy the growth of the church. Our ministries of compassion are not truly compassionate and life-giving if we neglect the word of life. When it comes to the health and the future of the church, there is no more vital ministry than the ministry of the word. And as we've already said, that ministry is not restricted to what happens in the pulpit. We can all be ministers of the word. One to one across a dinner table. Over tea in our living room. In fact, it turns out that these seven waiters also ministered the word. We'll see that in weeks to come. And when we're involved in a ministry that's not directly ministry of the word, whether it's welcoming visitors or making the tea for Christianity Explored or cutting the grass at the front of the church, when we minister in any one of a host of ways, let's think of that ministry as supporting the ministry of the word by freeing up and backing up those who do minister the word. Making ministry of the word a priority doesn't mean that we have to stop everything else. It means everything we do has to be done to support and enable the ministry of the word. God is God. He can do what he wants to do. But both scripture and history teach us that there's unlikely to be much genuine growth in the church unless the word is prioritized in the church. We're going to focus on the power of that word as we sing two songs. First of all, powerful in making us wise to salvation. <clears throat> 